Well, today we're going to be uh, covering mostly chapter 14, so it'll be great if you could have Acts chapter 14 open in front of you. Uh, if you haven't yet, it'll be great to catch up this week on chapter 13 and look at the series overview guide as that's covered in there. Let's pray as we open up this passage together. Loving Lord, we thank you that all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. We pray this morning that you would open up our hearts to receive your word, that we may know you better and be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen. There was once a Church of England bishop who apparently after visiting a service and preaching there, complained to a parishioner afterwards. He had this to say, Wherever Paul went, he caused riots. Wherever I go, they serve cups of tea. Yes, in chapters 13 to 14, which we're covering today, Paul and Barnabas are commissioned for the work of sharing the gospel, but they they get publicly contradicted by liars Uh, They get chucked out of town by the people who were stirred up up by the Jewish leaders. They received news about a plot to kill them. And lastly, Paul gets stoned half to death. So yes, wherever Paul goes, he causes riots. But after this service, we'll all go share in a cup of tea afterwards. Why is that? Uh, How do you think we would react if we faced opposition here? Well, let's have a look. What did Paul and Barnabas do in the face of opposition? Well, they simply kept on going, proclaiming the gospel, encouraging people to remain true to the Lord, and they continued to raise up leaders for the work of shepherding the church. Because they knew that persecution and opposition wasn't something to be avoided or, or something that was bad, or, nor something to be chased after, but it's going to be a natural byproduct of following Jesus and sharing Jesus. And well, it's the exact same for us 2,000 years later. We are called to be God's people in a lost world, faithfully proclaiming the gospel, patiently enduring hardships and opposition, but we don't do this alone. We have the ultimate support. So let's get stuck in. Uh, We come to Lystra in in verse 8 of chapter 14. Uh, Lystra wasn't much of a town of significance. It was a bit of a backwater town. So here come Paul and Barnabas preaching the gospel. And they come across a man who was born paralyzed, who was born lame. He couldn't uh, couldn't walk from birth. Uh, He wanted to be healed. And so in verse 10, this is what Paul says. Stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped and began to walk. Now, this in and of itself is an amazing display of God's power because healing someone who is born with an ailment wasn't just an ordinary thing. You couldn't really fake it. And so the whole healing threw the whole town into chaos. Not because they were praising God for what he did and how miraculous he is, but because they thought that Saul and Barnabas were gods come down to them. A little bit of backstory may shed some light on this. Uh, At that time, there was an ancient story going around where uh, they said that two gods came down to earth 
under human disguise. Uh, and they tried to find housing in the area, but they couldn't at all except for with a poor couple. When it was revealed that these men were actually gods, it was said that that house was given loads of riches, but that all the other houses which rejected them were destroyed and completely wiped out. So then, keen not to repeat the mistakes of the tale, this is what happens if you look with me from verse 11. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lysonian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. The crowd gets busy preparing sacrifices and twisting together crowns of leaves for these blokes. Meanwhile, Paul and Barnabas don't really have any idea what's happening because the crowd is speaking in their own native language. It's almost a bit comic. Uh, if it wasn't so sad. Sad? Well, it's sad because can you see how lost the crowds are? Uh, can you see how lost they are worshipping these humans with no better knowledge? Going off just off myths passed down to them? Pagan religiosity and ritual following it blindly? But here, 2,000 years later, here in Australia, can you see how lost the crowds are? Worshipping celebrities? Giving their whole lives to and worshipping career or money or possessions? Even worshipping their own children? Looking up newspapers for their star signs to predict their lives? Lost? Helpless? in need of a saviour? When you look around at people on your front lines, do you see just how helpless people are? Not that we ought to judge them or point the finger at them, but what we can do is have compassion on them, just like Paul and Barnabas did. Look with me from verse 14. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard this, they tore their clothes and rushed into the crowd, shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. They were horrified that the crowds would worship them instead of the Creator. And so they tore their clothes as a sign of this. But then they didn't point the finger at them and judge them or criticize them. But instead, they, he, they attempted to point them back to the one who is Lord of all. So let's just imagine being there. The crowd is loud and bustling, trying to drag Paul and Barnabas to the temple, to their place of worship. They're putting crowns on them, attempting to. All of a sudden, there's this bloke with these bulls coming towards, towards them to sacrifice to them. Uh, it's a mess. And over the top of these crowds, Paul attempts to shout out in verse 15 again, Friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. We are bringing you good news 
telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Paul desperately wants them to come to know the living the Lord. He desperately wants them to know that they aren't the good news themselves, that Paul and Barnabas aren't really anything special, but there is only one God and they aren't him. This is the crux of Paul's message to these people. Turn away from worshipping the created things. Turn towards living for the creator of all things. God is the one who spoke the earth into being. God is the one who in his kindness provides such good things as rain and crops and food and joy. He is the source of all things seen and unseen. And he has made this so abundantly known in his creation. A couple of weeks ago, uh, Rachel and I got to go down to a farm stay near Warwick for a couple of days and we were away from the city lights and away from that light pollution. And as we looked up into the clear evening sky, there's just an absolute blanket of stars covering us. It was jaw-droppingly beautiful. And we were both reminded of the sheer goodness of God. That it's him who put those stars into motion. It's him that set up the earth just perfectly to support life. It's him who has come to save us and to reconcile us. And yet his created beings still insist on worshipping the creation But notice also what Paul is doing here. If you've read ahead in in chapter 13, you would have seen uh, Paul preaching in the synagogues. And the content of his message was that Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah, as foretold in the law and the prophets. But here, he doesn't actually mention the law and the prophets. So what is he doing? Well, he's still preaching the gospel, but he's contextualizing it. He's serving it up to people in a language that they could understand, in something that they could respond to. Now, in our world, we've moved from a majority of nominal Christianity where people know a little bit about it and consent to it, to a new generation of almost no knowledge of the Bible, no knowledge of God, and no knowledge of the character of God which means that we have an amazing opportunity. (laughs) We have the amazing opportunity to share the news afresh to people, to share the news in such a way that it makes sense to them. Uh, We can change the packaging of the message all that we like. Uh, There are many different ways to share it, as long as we don't share, change the message that Jesus is Lord of all. And we can point people to worship the Creator. And come to know him. Come to know his goodness. Come to know his forgiveness. And as we do this, some people would really like the message and will turn. But to others, it will be a stench. And they will turn away. Maybe even right to, to opposition. But in the face of these things... 
All we have to do is to patiently endure. For Paul and Barnabas, the message wasn't completely effective as the crowd was still in a riot. But there was worse to come. Some Jewish leaders from the towns and cities that they had visited previously uh, came uh, came to this city and then turned the crowd against them. Look with me from verse 19. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. So then, potentially embarrassed by their actions, or potentially angry that Paul and Barnabas had rejected their hospitality and their worship, the crowds turn at the drop of a heartbeat from praising God and from praising Paul to stoning Paul, almost to death, but not quite. Uh, Broken and battered and sore, he went back into the city and then he simply kept on preaching the gospel in Derby, about 100 kilometres southeast of Lystra. What's remarkable here and fascinating to me is that Paul and Barnabas didn't just quit then and there. Uh, a couple of years back, I remember going on a bike ride with a group of people up to Hayden, uh, but it was about five degrees and it was slightly rainy as well. Uh, somebody punctured on the way up to Highfields. Uh, I got two punctures up near Highfields. So by the end of that, we were standing around cold and wet and a little miserable. So instead of pushing on, we thought, you know what? This isn't fun. Let's just go home. Now, if I was Paul in this situation, I probably would have thought, you know what? I'm not having fun anymore. <laughs> Being almost murdered is probably, not, is probably a reasonable enough excuse to pick up my bat and ball and trundle back home. But luckily, I'm not Paul. And Paul didn't do this. But Paul demonstrates an amazing patient endurance in simply pressing on and telling people about Jesus. In Derby, many people became disciples because of this endurance. And then what's more, he even retraced his steps. He went back to Lystra, the city that stoned him half to death. And then he went back to Iconium, the city that threatened to kill him in order to strengthen those churches. Even the threat of persecution didn't stop Paul on his mission. And this is because he didn't see persecutions as bad or as something to be avoided, but as a natural thing that will happen when the gospel is proclaimed. Look at me for verse 21, second half of verse 21. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Now, it's important to note here that Paul and Barnabas aren't saying that being persecuted is a precondition for entering into the kingdom of God. No, we aren't saved by our works or by whatever happens to us, but we're saved completely by God's grace. But what they are saying is that entering into the kingdom of God or being a follower of Jesus or entering through the narrow gate will naturally bring with it hardships. Rejection and persecution and pressure from the world 
is a natural outworking of being one of God's people and proclaiming the gospel. And this shouldn't be a surprise to us, nor to the apostles, because this is exactly what Jesus told them. This is what Jesus says in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. When we are called to follow Jesus, we are called to die. We are called to give our whole lives for him. To take up our instrument of death and torture and follow in his footsteps where he went before us. And yes, Jesus' yoke is easy and his burden is light, but he doesn't call us to a life of ease and comfort but to a life of sacrifice and serving him. And then when we receive the crown of glory, when he comes in all his fullness, because of his amazing grace, the hardships that we experience in this, in, in this life will disappear in a twinkling of an eye. Now in Toowoomba in 2023, it's, Relatively easy to be a Christian, isn't it? Uh, We aren't being openly persecuted or shut up into prisons. And in the course of church history and world history, well, this is actually abnormal. And perhaps even unhelpful. Unhelpful? Well, it can scare us away from proclaiming the gospel for for having the fear of being rejected. It's unhelpful because it can sometimes lull us into drifting. It can sometimes cause us to slump into a lounge chair of comfort. Now, this isn't to say that we all need to go out and try harder and try and be persecuted. No, not at all. But this is to say that when we face hardships for being Christians, we should remember that this is a normal part of being a follower of Jesus. But then, this is also a bit of a prod for us all. Me included. (laughs) That if we aren't going outside of our comfort zones to tell people about Jesus, are we really going far enough? Potentially not. Because there is a lost world that needs Jesus. And he has commissioned us as his people to do that work of telling other people regardless of what happens. But the great news is that as we go out, we aren't going by ourselves, but we have the ultimate support. Uh, This support comes in two main elements. Uh, Firstly, as Paul goes back through the churches, he appoints elders to strengthen them and to build them up. So that means that as we go out, we have the help and support of our fellow brothers and sisters right here. So this isn't a mission that we are called to as individuals, but together. So this means praying with one another, reading the Bible with one another, actively encouraging one another onto love and to good works, in sharing the great news of Jesus on our front lines. It's not a solo effort, but this is the work of the whole body. 
Each person using their own gifts to strengthen it, to equip it, and to build it up. Secondly, it's actually not our work. But it's us proclaiming in God's work in the world. Uh, Paul and Barnabas get back to Antioch, uh, where they were initially sent from. They say this in verse 27. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened a door of faith to Gentiles. The only reason that people can come to faith is because of what God does in them. It's all God's work, and we get the privilege of participating in it. And he is at work in and through us as we go out into the world, which means that we are never alone. Perhaps you're in a workplace where it seems like nobody else is Christian and you're all by yourself. Perhaps you're part of a family which doesn't yet know Jesus and you feel isolated. Perhaps you're living in a village which seems totally and utterly secular and you don't feel confident in sharing Jesus. Well, you aren't alone. You aren't isolated. You aren't by yourself because Jesus is with you every step of the way. So we have the ultimate support of our brothers and sisters right here and online and God himself. Edward Plumtree wrote, wrote these words in a hymn in the 1860s, which goes, Your mercy will not fail us, nor leave your work undone. With your right hand to help us, the victory shall be won. And then by earth and heaven your name shall be adored. And this shall be our anthem. One church, one faith, one Lord. Yes, wherever Paul went, he caused riots. Wherever we go, they serve cups of tea. Well, that may be the case here, but... It may not always be. And if it does come to pass, we mustn't panic, nor be surprised, but faithfully and patiently endure. And even if the very worst was to happen, and we were put to death, when our resurrection and our life in him is totally and utterly secure, because of Jesus. So then, we are called to be God's people in a lost world, faithfully proclaiming the gospel, patiently enduring hardships and opposition. But we don't do this alone, but we have the ultimate support. So let's pray and ask God to help us with this. Our loving Lord, we are facing a task that is unfinished that brings us to our knees. 
And so, Heavenly Father, as we look into a world which is lost and helpless without you, we pray that you will give us a heart for the lost, a heart which longs to bring them to Jesus. We pray that when the time comes to be able to tell people about him, that you'll help us to have creativity in ways in which we faithfully proclaim your word. We pray that if we do endure hardships, that you help us to do so patiently. And that you help us to rely on the support of our brothers and sisters here. And help us to remember that you are with us every step of the way. So Lord, help us to be fervent and diligent in our proclamation of you so that many, many people may come to know you and bring glory to your name. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.